Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today is frequent guest Ian Anderson. Welcome back, Ian. How's it going? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you for joining me, as always. How's quarantine going? You know, I'm still kicking. Going to be moving out of the city of Boston soon. Hopefully going to be employed as well. So, you know... Things aren't all bad in quarantine life. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) like good progress. Proud of you. Yeah. This week, we have a special episode planned. Uh, It has been nearly five months since we started quarantine here in Boston. And as a result, we have watched a ton of film and television. It's probably more than I've ever watched in my entire life. So this week, we will be running through the best of what we've watched so far. So Ian and I will be providing our top five films of quarantine as well as some fun categories like most surprising film, most disappointing film, and for the TV fans, best television show. Since we are going to be covering a wide range of films and television shows, we'll be keeping things spoiler-free for the most part. I guess if we do want to talk spoilers about something, then we'll go ahead and throw up a spoiler warning right before we do that. And as is custom with these multi-review episodes, uh, we'll be foregoing the point two section at the end to give us more time to talk about these films. So let's just uh, hop right in and start with our top five films of quarantine. So for these lists, all the films that we have included had to be first-time watches. So any films that we had seen prior to quarantine were not eligible, even if we did watch them again in quarantine. And for my list, I also didn't include films that I've done main reviews for in previous episodes. And I also skipped some of my some of the films that I talked about in the point two section. So Hamilton and Palm Springs, things like that, they may have been in contention for the top five spots for me, but I didn't include them just so that I could talk about a couple other films. So with all of that out of the way, Ian, let me start by asking you, generally, do you know how many films you've seen in the last five months? Um, I feel like it must be close to like 50 or so. I don't know. Okay. I, I, it's, it's hard to tell because I, I've rewatched a lot of things. Yeah. So I, I keep my I keep track of what I've been watching on Letterbox. No free ads, but mm. check out Letterbox. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've watched 117 films since the start of March, and 74 of those have been first time watches. So I am narrowing down nice. this list of 74 from 74 all the way down to five. Did you find this list particularly difficult to make for you, or were there five really clear, obvious answers? You know, once I went through the movies that I had seen, it was incredibly easy. And I don't think, I actually don't think any of the movies that I've talked with you about on on the podcast made it onto my list anyways, so I didn't have to, like, go through those. Oh, cool. So, I, cool. yeah, I didn't really have much of an issue. Yeah, I don't know. I was kind of surprised by how small the number of films that I've really loved out of those 74 are. So this list was mm-hmm. pretty easy, especially when I took out things like Hamilton and Palm Springs that I had already talked about. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess I've been watching pretty, like, average movies. But there has been a lot of good ones and a lot of gems. And uh, we'll yeah. be talking about some of those now. So, Ian, what is your number five film, the fifth best film that you've seen in quarantine? Yeah, so uh, this is one of the more recent ones. I think it might be the most recent movie I've watched, uh, Ready or Not. Ooh. that in half an hour I will be a part of the Ladomus gaming dynasty empire uh, Dominion we prefer Dominion I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family Still more 
There's just one more thing. And then you are officially part of the family. So at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. Uh, okay. Uh, I think it was recommended to me by by you. Directed by Matt Matt Bettinelli and uh, Tyler Git Gillett Gillette. Um, but they are also both uh, going to be directing Scream Five, which is coming up. Which oh, I I'm didn't know sort that. Of excited for. Who knows when it's actually coming out, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I I, lo- I love this movie. Uh, not even going to go through the rest of the cast because I don't care about them, but Samara, we- Samara Weaving was amazing as Grace, like the main character of this movie. Yeah. In case you don't know anything about this movie, um, it's about this woman named Grace. She's marrying uh, the love of her life, and his family is extremely rich. They come from a long line of... Um, successful business people in like the board game business right sure yeah um and so the we- the wedding's taking place at her like beautiful mansion or ha- at his beautiful mansion but the twist of this movie is that there's a tradition where whenever somebody joins the family they have to play a game with the family and if they uh draw from like this random uh deck of cards the games if they draw uh hide and seek hide and seek becomes a game of murder pretty much the the <laughs> yeah the uh in-laws have to hunt down grace pretty much and like what as soon as you know that that's that hide and seek is going to be the move like the game that uh ends in murder like you're like okay she's gonna draw the card like the first the only thing i really didn't like about this movie is how predictable like the first like half an hour was yeah i was like yeah I, I saw the trailer like it's called ready or not she's gonna draw the card <laughs> i think it's really funny that this movie is just objectively really stupid the premise is yeah. so yeah. dumb like what if we had hide and go seek but we had to kill the person that we were looking for and yeah I really like that the movie kind of just commits to that. It's not a full-on parody of a horror movie. I think in a lot of ways, actually, it is like the Scream franchise, where those films are actually scary and they take themselves seriously. But there's this level of we know how dumb it is, kind of. And it's not quite as meta Mm -hmm. as Scream. Like, people don't talk about horror movies or whatever. But there's a lot of that sort of, like, wry humor around how ridiculous the premise of this movie is and i think it's really fun yeah for sure and you know like i said the first half or first half an hour is a little bit slow but like once it picks up it is so funny um and it also like you said like with scream it does get intense and there are gonna be moments where like you're cheering on grace and i I thought that was awesome and they have twists in it that like just make it even more ridiculous. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. Like how hard they commit to being ridiculous in this movie. The ending of this movie, the ending of the movie is just insane. Yeah. You <laughs> will not expect insane. how it's going to end. It's just like, I, I can't believe they did that. And yeah, yeah let's not get into it because of spoilers, because I think it is really funny. But totally. I just, I, I sat there and I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> That's how it ends. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, Samara Weaving, she's great. She looks exactly like Margot Robbie, which is really confusing to me. Yeah, I know. But um, it's got some great lines in it, too. And it's it's kind of like Knives Out, where it sort of is like, fuck the rich or eat the rich or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I, that's a great pick. That's your number five. Yeah. Is Ready or Not. Where did you watch that? Uh, Wherever it was streaming. Um, Hulu, maybe? HBO? Don't quote me on this. Uh, use Google. This is a this is an ad for Google. <laughs> they really need our sponsorship, so I'm glad we're reaching out to like those small startup companies. Yeah. Speaking of small startup companies, this was actually a beautiful segue. Thank you, Ian. Uh, my number five film. It's a film about the CEO of a tiny company that very few people have heard of, but it's actually a really interesting story. It's called Steve Jobs. <laughs> So this is the 2015 documentary. Wait, it's not even a documentary. It's like a biopic or, or something about <laughs> uh, Steve Jobs, a.k.a. Sturve Jerbs, who is the CEO of Apple. Uh, it's directed by Danny Boyle, and it's written by Aaron Sorkin. And Michael Fassbender is um, the titular Sturve Jerbs. So I thought this movie was really cool. Have you seen it? No, I haven't, actually. Okay. Um, it's got a fantastic performance from Michael Fassbender, which is a little water is wet. Um, but mm. you know, it's great to see him just get to act. And I think Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin make a really great team. I love Sorkin dialogue. I think it's fast. It's witty. It's really quick. It's super unrealistic. Like nobody talks like the people in Aaron Sorkin films. It's just everything is mm-hmm. so quick that you don't even have time to think, but it makes for this really just wonderful film atmosphere because you're just watching these people who are really smart firing back and forth at each other and basically what this film is is i don't know how much you know about the way that it's structured but it's kind of um, these series of three vignettes that center around the product reveal of different apple products so the first one is in 1984 with the reveal of the apple macintosh 128k Uh, the second is the 1988 next computer launch And then the third is um, in 1999 or 1998, it's when he releases the iMac. And basically before each of these product reveals, Sturve Jerbs is confronted by a whole bunch of different people. You've got his ex-girlfriend who has like a daughter that she claims is his. Uh, You've got Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, who's played by Seth Rogen. And then you have Apple CEO John Scully, who's um, played by Jeff Daniels. And basically, in each of the three moments in time, um, Steve, he we get to watch how he's kind of confronted by these different people and how those confrontations change over time based on where he is in his life. Oh. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, it sort of makes for a convenient plot, you know, like the fact that these three people come up before every single important Apple tech launch and talk to this dude about <laughs> something that happened 10 years ago. Um, but it makes for a really tight script and it, there's a lot of these punchy mm-hmm. arguments and yelling and it's really captivating drama. So I loved it. Um, I think it's a great character study of Steve Jobs. As a man who has this blind drive for success and how his concessions or his lack of concessions change throughout his life, um, I don't really know how accurate it is or historically accurate it is. And I'm willing to bet it's like not at all. But I think it's a great performance. Um, I think it's really interesting dive into this public figure or at least like the figure that we know him as who he because he was like notoriously an asshole, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's really smart that the film focuses only on the time up until 1998 because 
it kind of steers clear away from his death and all of that. So in a way it's respectful, but I do think that it kind of does definitely as a film come down on the side that Steve Jobs was like not a great person. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I never really got around to it just because I I'm not a big Apple fan and I was like, I don't really care. That was gonna be my next <laughs> question is like what are your thoughts on Apple as a company? Because I hate Apple. Yeah, no, I, I've never really been a big fan. I guess not never because I had an iPhone at one point. <laughs> but um I, I just thought that they were like they they thought that they were like above all else um when really like they were just totally not and were also just like screwing over their customers with like every product like just because of how far ahead they were everything i hate about apple is perfectly wrapped up in the fact that they basically took away the headphone jack of their phone so that people had to buy a separate (laughs) extension so that they could listen to music through headphones on their apple phones And like, I just hate that the company is this, I mean, all respect to it. It's a really good company because they, it it works. Like people buy iPhones. People did it. People bought those. Yeah. But I hate that it's a company that's basically selling an inferior product and convincing people that because they own it, they're better than you. Exactly. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I know so many people that see that I have an Android and they're like, ew. And I know it's, it's. Your iPhone sucks, okay? Apple yeah. sucks. Like, congratulations on supporting this shitty company. But which, I mean, you know, Samsung's probably not much better. But, um, but I mean, I think you see a lot of that in the movie. Not to get too far off on a tangent, like <laughs> you, you see the kind of um, thought that the the thought process that Steve Jobs has to kind of like do whatever it takes to make it work and how he actually had to do a lot of just faking it until he made it, made it, made it. Yeah. Not <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the first two product launches were actually failures. Like they were awful products. Nobody bought them. So he was steeped in failure for a long time before he became this like great dude. So it's actually kind of yeah. crazy that he was able to fake it until basically Apple was like, no, actually now we're one of the best companies ever. So. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. pretty interesting. What was that on? Um, I believe it's on Netflix, and I think it's pretty short, okay. so I would definitely recommend it. That's Sturve Gerbs from 2015. <laughs> so what's your number four film, Ian? All right, number four. Um, I think this – it's Toy Story 4. Okay. Wait. I hadn't, I hadn't seen it until oh, wow. quarantine. Yeah. Um, which is crazy because like the, like Toy Story, if you ask like my parents, like that was the movie that like I would rewind on VCR, like and watch over and over and over again all day long. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was really surprising that I never watched it, but I think it's on my fourth spot just because of nostalgia. It's definitely my least favorite of the four in the series. Um, but it still has the same, uh, Toy Story heart, I guess, that, that you would expect. Like, it's still a Toy Story movie. And I guess probably anybody listening has seen it. It's been out for a very long time. I guess not everybody's, everybody's seen it's Toy Story. It's a kid's movie. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I did appreciate that it was a bit, uh, different structure wise from the rest of the Toy Story movies. Like the rest of them have like a clear plot, you know? And yeah. they, they set up like, bi- they set up big stakes for the movie, like either like, 
you know, they have to get Buzz back, um, they're lost, or, like, you know, they're going to be burned alive or something in a dumpster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, like, all those movies had really big stakes, and this one, not that it didn't have stakes, but they were just, like, totally different. Um, they were more on, like, the metaphysical side of things. Like, this was the movie where they finally confronted, like, being toys. <laughs> yeah. And, like, what it means to be a toy. I think a lot of Toy Story movies have done that sort of philosophical exploration of what it means to be a toy or using that as a substitute for what it means to be you and what yeah, purpose you have or totally, whatever. Totally, but but I think they really went like in on it in this movie like with the character of Forky Great like, specifically. Um and also like the rest of the toys like figuring out what they do now that they don't have a kid, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and all the lost toys uh, and the idea of how that's sort of freeing, right? And I think yeah. the thing, the like where Woody ends up at the end of this film is basically perfect. Um, mm-hmm. The ending of this film is perfect. And I, I really like this film too. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think it's really great. But I, I think that that departure that they, that they took from previous film structures is probably something that i really like and really don't like about the movie just because i wanted it to be what i remember (laughs) yeah just like weird weird antics yeah one of the things that i found a little disappointing about it is that other than woody basically none of the old toys really have anything to do sort of buzz does like i guess he technically does affect the plot of the movie but large portions of the movie most of the old characters like Jesse and uh, what's the horse bullseye, they're just stuck in a trailer, right? Yeah. And that's a little disappointing. And I guess it's because they're introducing new characters and new toys. And based on the success of this one, there's probably going to be a Toy Story 5 or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to see them do more things. I agree. I totally agree. Especially Buzz. I love Buzz. I don't know if we're allowed to say that anymore. Isn't Tim Allen, kind of a sucky person. I love Buzz. I see. Not Tim Allen. My favorite part of this movie is <laughs> when the little toy soldiers like try and high five Woody, and he high fives the two of them, <laughs> and then he leaves the other one hanging, and the one's just trying to trying to get the high yeah. five. So funny. The comedy was really good in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Forky is great. So that's Toy Story four in your number four spot, and that is mm-hmm. on Disney Plus, I believe. Yes. So my number four is a film called Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Ever since I was born, I was dope. is 32 people on his personal payroll. Sure, Connor surrounds himself with people who are agreeable. Connor, did you take a shit in the Anne Frank house? Do not go in there. Woo! <laughs> Have you seen this film, Ian? I, I haven't, but I, I mean, I've seen a lot of other Andy Samberg movies, so I feel like I know the feel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So this is a film written uh, and directed by The Lonely Island, or specifically it's directed by Akiva Schaefer and uh, Jorma Tacone, who are the other two-thirds of Lonely Island that aren't Andy Samberg. Mm -hmm. 
And this is a mockumentary film that stars Andy Samberg as a pop star named Connor For Real. And he basically used to be part of this boy band that was like the other two characters from Lonely Island. They were also in the boy band. And then the boy band has this falling out. So Connor For Real is trying to make his name as like a solo artist. And it's just such a funny movie. Um, I think sometimes films like this, they feel like they're sort of um, like an SNL sketch that has been stretched out to be at 90 minutes. And you can kind of feel that sometimes. Like I recently watched Hot Rod. Great movie. I think the first 30 minutes are the best part of the movie. And then there's a certain part where it's like, okay, there's not quite as much narrative momentum to keep the story going. Um, yeah, because it feels, yeah, it feels like something that was pitched as a hilarious idea and it is hilarious. Uh, this is kind of like that, but I think the reason that this one works is because this has music in it and the musical numbers that they have are written by the Lonely Island, which means they are so completely funny. They are, they are some of the funniest songs that I've ever seen and ever heard. I think I know some of the songs. I've never, I've never seen the movie though. Have you heard of Finest Girl, the Bin Laden song? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is my favorite song from any film ever. It's above all Disney yeah. songs. It's above Star is Born. It's above La La Land. The song is <laughs> hilarious. And for people who haven't heard it, I would recommend just listening to it because it's actually like a really good song. It's really catchy and really funny. But basically, the song is about how Connor for real met a girl at a bar and she was like, take me home and fuck me like the U.S. government fucked Bin Laden when they killed him. Um, and if that doesn't sound funny to you, then I don't know what to tell you. Stop listening to this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> it's This isn't for you. Yeah, <laughs> this movie's not for you. My humor is not aligned with yours. For me, it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. So it's hilarious. Um, the sad thing though, is that this film did flop at the box office. Um, I don't know. Did, did you even entertain the idea of seeing this when it came out in 2016? I don't remember it being in theaters in 2016. Okay. I remember seeing the trailer <laughs> and being like, this looks awful. It looks really bad, really cheesy. And like just one of those comedies that reminds me of something like my boy, I think is what it's called with Adam Sandler and, uh, Andy Samberg. It just looked awful, but the yeah. movie is really funny. It's really smart, and I should not have disrespected The Lonely Island like that. So number four is Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Yeah, I need to see that. Yeah, unfortunately, I had to rent it. Uh, I think it might be on Stars or like one of those fake channels that nobody actually has, but it's not on Netflix or HBO or anything as of now. So hmm. definitely worth the six bucks or whatever, though. Ian, what's your number three film from Quarantine? Yeah, so my number three and number two were, were really close. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Little Women as my my number three. I, it was right. really close between my, my my number two and number three. But um, I I feel like there's not much to say about this movie. It's gonna be the same with my number one movie. Uh, there's not <laughs> much to say because like every I can't say anything that hasn't been said about it. Um, directed by Greta Gerwig, it has an amazing cast. Um. I love Laura Dern so much. Um, she's grown on me. Grown on you as in like you didn't like her before? Yeah. Why? The same reason I don't like Amy Adams. Like I never saw something that I was like, 
there's nobody else who could do this role, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think I started coming around to her in Marriage Story for the first time. Yeah, I think in she's much better in Little Women than she is in Marriage Story. I feel like in Marriage Story, she yeah, has... Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, I loved her after this. Um, like like I said, there's not really much to say about it. It's, it's like the same reason as why I loved Lady Bird, though, um, which is also obviously Greta Gerwig. Um, just like the amount of like intimacy that you get with a family or a group of people... And the way that, like, the tension sort of builds to something that you, like, know is coming, I guess, um, throughout the entire movie. And just getting just getting to know all of the, the entire family, the entire March family, I, I loved it. Obviously, everybody knows this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a really great movie. Um, the thing I really liked about it was that there was, oh my god, imagine this, nuance in the female characters in that not all of the characters had the same ideas of what they wanted out of life. So you have yeah. the character played by, here we go, Shershi Ronan, who is yeah. very much a, what I would say a, um, a, a pretty typical female protagonist in that she mm-hmm. very much, you know, she, um, she works against the more gendered expectations of her times. But then you also have the Emma Watson character who is like, look, I want to just be married and that should be fine. And then you've also got yeah. the conflict between Cersei Ronan and the idea that she wants to have this great career as an, as an author, but she also doesn't want to be lonely. And I think that that conflict is something that you don't see a lot in a lot of movies that are about women like it's either it's kind of either one or the other for a lot of Mm -hmm. uh movie characters and i really love that greta gerwig was able to just be like no you can you can want both and both are fine and there's nuance in in characters and yeah totally it's it's a really smart totally i love that yeah like not taking away from emma watson's character just because of what she wants like they they all are going after what they want out of life in their own ways and i i really like that they didn't invalidate anything um and that they you know they had the discussions between these characters that you were probably having like in your head before they they even started you know yeah exactly i love and each of the uh what what are their names the oh they're not little what are what's the last name the marches the marches yeah each of the marches has like their own desires and passions and things except mm-hmm. beth yeah exactly beth beth doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> beth is the pet dog of this movie <laughs> she's just not she's gonna just lie there i had to, to like die. look at the cast list to like be sure that was the right name because yeah. i forgot she <laughs> which one's beth oh beth's the one that i don't care about because uh um but yeah, yeah. Great movie. Would definitely recommend it. Did you watch that on something? Is it streaming somewhere? I think I bought it or rented it. Cool. So uh, number three for Ian is Little Women. So number three for me is a older film called Singing in the Rain. So this is directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan, and it is starring Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, and Debbie Reynolds. And this is basically a musical comedy that is focusing on the 1920s Hollywood as it transitions from silent films into the talkies or like films that we know of today where the actors are actually speaking. Have you heard of 
I'm sure you've heard of this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Is this the oldest movie that you've seen? No, definitely not. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Oh. I, I think I've seen like, no, I've seen like, uh, what's that one? 12 Angry Men for sure Yeah, is older. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I, I suppose no, I this wondering. is up there as one of the older ones, but I think it's great. Uh, basically, the premise of the film is that Gene Kelly is this huge Hollywood star uh, and he's going to be starring in one of the first Hollywood talkies. But his leading lady that the studio has kind of like linked romantically to him, she has a terrible voice and she can't sing. So basically, they hire another woman who's played by Debbie Reynolds to do the voiceover for the Hollywood starlet um, so that she actually has a voice that is tolerable. Um, and I just <laughs> think it's a really funny film. It's super enjoyable. The musical performances are really great. Mm. I've never seen Gene Kelly in anything before this, but Gene, Kel Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor are great dancers. So it's just fun to watch them dance. There's a couple mm -hmm. dance sequences that are really, really long where you go, oh, wow, this is really cool. They're tap dancing a lot. Oh, they're still tap dancing. And it just goes on forever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost to the point of parody. Like, Do you remember watching Family Guy and watching episodes? I don't know if you ever watched Family Guy. But there are episodes a in that bit, yeah. where the, they will just decide to break out into an animated song and dance. And it just goes on for five minutes of like a 25-minute TV show. And you're just like, oh, like Phineas and Ferb. Sure. No, but like it's intentionally <laughs> just incredibly long. And so, yeah, I think it's a parody of movies like this where they'll just tap dance for like eight minutes. And it's still really impressive, but there certainly are parts where you're like, okay, I get it. You, you're good at dancing. Please stop <laughs> tap dancing. Yeah. There's so much tap dancing. Uh, but I think the characters are really great. The story is really fun. Uh, and I think as far as uh, classic films go, it's it's very accessible. And it's not offensive like 90% of classic films. So, Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Where did you watch this one? Uh, that's on HBO Max. So they have like a oh, whole cool. category of older movies. And I believe Singing in the Rain it should still be on there. But who knows? HBO cool. Max yeah. just decides to give up Harry Potter or whatever randomly. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe it's not on there. I'll, I'll try to give that a shot because I, I've seen scenes from it and stuff, but I, I have never watched the whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot of moments in it where I was like, oh, that's what that's from. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and this is probably assassinating myself as a film fan but i think this might be the first time that i've seen debbie reynolds in something that wasn't a halloween town movie you mean her best movies those are amazing movies oh they're great but it's kind of weird to be like <laughs> debbie reynolds from halloween town from halloween town aggie cromwell <laughs> no those movies are great but <laughs> speaking of disney uh have you ever seen the sweet life of zach and cody episode called lip singing in the rain where, yes. yeah, they put on like a high school musical play and London Tipton mm -hmm. is playing uh, Sharpay, which is funny because Ashley Tisdale played Sharpay. But and so Maddie has to do the voice for her. And then there's that part yeah. where they like pull down the curtains and they find that all oh, of that. Yeah, because she she had a horrible voice. I, f I forgot about that. Yeah. I never knew that was the plot of that movie. So that that's. Yeah, it's an exact parody from singing in the rain and i bet anybody over the age of like 28 is probably banging their head on the table listening to this and being like did they really be like singing in the rain is a copy of a sweet life of zach and cody episode 
but it is. Yeah, they did it first. For me, chronologically, they did do it first. (laughs) So that is my number three, Singing in the Rain. Ian, what's your number two? My number two, um, I don't know if you would have seen this one, is uh, the half of it. Give it up next for Ellie Chu. The good thing about being different in a town like this is that no one expects you to be like them. I'm 17. I live in Squamish with my dad. I run a business writing essays for people. I guess I just never thought I'd need anyone else. Oh, I, I did see that. I believe it was on... Oh, you did? I love this movie. How did you feel about this movie? Eh. Oh. Oh, man. <laughs> no, no, no. Say your piece. Well, Say your piece. Oh, yeah, it's a uh, romantic comedy directed uh, by Alice Wu, who's only directed one other movie before. It was in 2004, and it didn't do well. Um, but it takes place in, like, a sort of, like, small town. It's, like, a basic teen dramedy kind of thing except like there are like a few different twists that are brought from alice Wu's Wu's actual life um that the main character uh what's her name ellie ellie chu uh played by Le- leah ellis leah lewis sorry i butchered that <laughs> <laughs> played by leah lewis uh is based on uh the director alice Wu's actual uh childhood she was like a studious and shy young uh chinese immigrant um and in this movie she's the only asian kid in this like fictional town and she is pretty much taking it upon herself to take care of her uh widowed father by tutoring i guess doing homework for other kids in school Mm -hmm. and uh the movie sort of builds around this relationship that she forms with this one kid who's trying to write a poem for this girl that he really likes and it builds like this sort of love triangle that like really builds in like a couple different directions because of course there's the romantic side of it but uh the platonic side between between um ellie and paul i can't remember that i should have written down the actor's name who plays paul because i really loved him in this movie (laughs) um but the but the relationship between them i thought was really amazing and he had like that quality this actor on screen of like he just like makes you smile he's like a little puppy dog kind of thing um he was such a loyal character he genuinely meant the best like no even though he like is raised in a really religious family i think his dad was a pastor but he he's really trying to keep an open mind and continue learning and it was a really uh, a really wholesome movie i thought yeah so i guess i agree with a lot of what you said um i think ellie and paul their relationship is really great it's a lot of fun but the yeah. the girl that they are kind of pining over or ba- – so, mm-hmm. right, you said basically that Paul is using Ellie to write letters to this girl to make this girl like Paul. Yeah. Which, I mean, okay, I guess it's like – you. it's a conceit of the genre to accept that generally speaking, people do pretty fucked up things in romantic comedies – but <laughs> yeah, this is gaslighting to a completely unacceptable level for me, which was one of the huge yeah, problems. Yeah, but we never I... really learn about her character, so it's okay. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I, I did really like the relationship between the the two characters that were not supposed to be romantically linked. Like, if I think it was a yeah. relationship between them, I think it would have been a really fun film. And I, I really do like the Paul character, and I think Ellie is great, and a lot of the the um, autobiographical parts of the film are really cool. But I just could not support how completely messed up it is that they're just completely gaslighting this woman nobody would ever forgive you for that it's pretty ridiculous for me but i mean so yeah that's that's where i lost it with this film but i think it's i think it's fine it's a fine film for sure i get that but i don't think they brought it to the extent at which like like this is harmful you know i i feel like they brought it to the point of like all all they really brought it to was let's go on a date pretty much well, I, I don't know. I just, it just didn't make too much sense to me because it was like, where, what is the end game It's not like they were here? pressuring this girl into like sex with somebody that she didn't know or anything. Yeah, but they were still completely lying to her and I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't so know. there was, was lying involved. I, 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 get, I agree with that. <laughs> it was... There, the, there were good and valid emotions behind it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I no, I mean, I'm sure, and I, I think in terms of like, if you look back at some of the, um, who who did the Breakfast Club? What's that guy's name? Super famous director. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, old film fans are gonna hate us. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, John Hughes. That's that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you look at a lot of the romantic comedies from John Hughes the level of problematic that those films are this film doesn't hold a candle to that like there's nothing aggressively problematic <laughs> about this film at all but i was mm. just sort of like i can't i can't condone this this is just it's getting it's making me really hard to get invested in her relationship with this girl and just i, I don't know but, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I I really did choose to focus. I can't even remember the girl's name, um, but I chose to focus on Ellie and Paul. I didn't really care about the other girl because <laughs> I, I thought that they were so fun to watch. Yeah, no, they they definitely do have a good dynamic, and I would love to see that dude in some more things for sure. Because you're yeah, right, totally. he he sort of has that presence that's like you're an idiot, and I want to pat you on the head. And the same as like Tom Holland, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that is the half of it, and that is on uh, Netflix. So um, my number two film is a tiny little film that you may not have heard of. Um, it is called The Godfather from 1972, <laughs> directed by Francis Ford Coppola, starring Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, James Caan, and Diane Keaton. So uh, I'm going to risk my career as a uh, amateur film critic here and say hot take the godfather is good whoa have you seen it i should quote you on that yeah i've seen uh i've seen one and two okay. i haven't seen three yeah i also have not seen three i've heard not great things about that uh yeah, yeah. so the godfather it's a mobster epic about the corleone family i think the reason that it took me so long to watch this is that the movie is so long and dense that I needed a global mm. pandemic for me to find <laughs> the time and energy to will myself to watch it. But but I'm really glad that I did because it's an incredibly captivating film. Uh, it's about power and family and corruption, basically anything that a Scorsese movie is about. 
And it's one of those films mm -hmm. that is the basis of so many things in pop culture and other films that are also pop culture that it almost feels derivative to watch it after so many other things. But even so, the movie is just so good. Like, I can't remember a film mm -hmm. that hooked me so fully and so quickly at, as this film did with its first scene. You just get completely hooked from the very second that The Godfather steps on screen. And I think that's especially impressive because I went into this movie knowing that it's one of the best movies ever made. So I was expecting it to disappoint me. I was expecting it to be this untouchable thing that was going to disappoint me, but it didn't. It's just a great film and the performance is fantastic. And just the atmosphere of the film, like, I'll be honest, I didn't really understand what was going on most of the time. I'm not particularly good at understanding yeah. what happens in mobster movies, but you're just completely captivated by the performance every single time because you have no idea what's going to happen whenever he's on screen. Yeah, I totally agree. That is such a good movie. And, and again, like... <laughs> We, we are very behind, or I guess you're behind on this one, at least. I was very behind on <laughs> Little Women. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, it's such a good movie. So I've heard people say that The Godfather Part Two is actually better than The Godfather. Um, that one was released in 1974. Both of them won Best mm -hmm. Picture. The Part Two is actually the first sequel to ever win Best Picture. Might be the only one, too. I don't, I'll have to check that. Um, which do you think is better? I don't know. It's been so long. They're blending together in my head. I honestly can't answer. I, I think I think one. Yeah, I think one is, is better as well. But from what I remember, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with one. Yeah, Godfather 2 has Robert De Niro, which is cool. But I, mm -hmm. I think the first one is just such a tight film. Uh, yeah. Really just a great film. Would definitely recommend. I think I also had to rent this one, too, for some dumb reason. It's not anywhere. So... If you can rent it, that's crazy. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. It should be like public domain at this point, but yeah, I know. All right, Ian, we've gotten down to the best film that you have seen in quarantine. What is it? This is, this is another movie that I guess I should have seen. Like you should have seen Godfather. I also should have <laughs> seen little women. Um, my number one is parasite. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm very behind. <laughs> I mean, 1972, 2019, like, you know, you're, yeah. you're still within it, the, you know, calendar year or whatever. It's weird. It's weird to say that this is like simultaneously one of my favorite movies of 2019 and 2020. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. it, but, but it is. Um, and probably like one of the best of the decade, I guess. Like, I, I think, like you said about Godfather, like, I can't remember the last time. Like, since, the like, from the second the movie started, I was just, like, in it, like, zoned in. Besides, like, Endgame, of course, but that's just, like, a biased me thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, that same feeling, like, I could not look away from it. Like, I, it was, the way Bong Joon-ho juggled uh, the comedy and what he was trying to get at with, you know, fuck the rich kind of thing. I, I thought it was just, like, so amazing. It felt like a satire at first, but it, like, very quickly starts taking dark turns, and I thought it did so, so amazingly. Yeah, this movie is impossible <laughs> to predict. There is yeah. zero chance that you will predict where this movie goes. 
And I think there are multiple times in the movie where I was like, oh, I see where they're going. I guess that's cool. And then it doesn't go that way. And Mm. it just blew my mind like two or three times in this movie. Such a good film. And the acting is so amazing. Like the the dialogue and like everybody's like the the entire like main family's expressions and their acting within their within their acting. It's so good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically this family is like... <laughs> I'm trying to not spoil things, but like it's so hard not to, I guess. No, no, you're right. Yeah, we should keep it really, really vague just in case people haven't seen it. Uh, this is a Korean film, which means there are subtitles. And um, just be aware of that if you can't read, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't really notice them, though, I I, I feel like. I, like I was still able to judge their acting ability. It's not like... It, I don't know why... People need to get by it. Like, oh, oh, yeah, no, no, it's for so sure. Easy. I, I do think, <laughs> though, that there is something to having to learn how to watch a movie with subtitles. And I personally mm. just watch a mo- all movies with subtitles now. But, like, there there definitely is. It, it's so, it, it, it's, you have to teach your brain to be able to read what's going on and look at the screen because you miss so much in this movie if you're not seeing what's going on on the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so you watch this on Hulu, right? Yes. Are you poor like me and have um, ads with Hulu? Uh, no. Maddie's brother works for Hulu. <laughs> oh. Oh. So yeah. this should be a disclaimer then that not your opinion about this movie doesn't matter because you're in cahoots with Hulu. I don't know. Hulu's platform sucks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Last episode you were on, we were sponsored by Hulu. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, now they need to buy it back. Okay, I see. But I think one of the... So I, I do have um, ads on Hulu because I'm a basic loser, I guess. And one of the ads <laughs> that runs a lot is an advertisement for this film. And the only line of dialogue that is spoken in the entire trailer... So it's like a, it's like scenes of the thing and then it'll say, you know, best picture winner and all these pull quotes from different random people like best mm-hmm. movie ever blah 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 and then at the very mm-hmm. end it ends with the one line of english dialogue in the entire movie uh, of the mom saying is this okay with you she says that oh yeah when she's talking to the uh the the son who's gonna be mm-hmm. hired and it makes me so mad because the movie, because the ad is clearly trying to trick you into watching the movie without knowing that it's actually a foreign language film. Because there's no that dialogue. That is so funny. Just one piece of English dialogue. It's like, are, oh my God. But <laughs> that is a very good number one. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you finally saw it and that it yeah, lived up to the hype. I loved it. That is Parasite so good. on Hulu. So my number one film is a film called Silence. Our Lord said to them, Go ye into the whole world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Ferreira is lost to us. They denounce God in public and surrendered the faith. That's not possible. Father Ferreira risked his life to spread our faith all over Japan. It seems to me that our mission here is more urgent than ever. We must go find Father Ferreira. 
This is in your hearts, in both of you. Yes. And I must trust God has put it down. The moment you set foot in that country, you step into high danger. This is directed by Martin Scorsese. It's starring Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, Tadanobu Asano, huh. and Liam Neeson. What? I've never heard of this. Yeah, it uh, tanked at the box office, but it is an amazing film. When did it come out? 2016. Okay. So basically the story behind this movie is that in the 17th century, uh, two Jesuit priests, they travel to Japan to find their mentor who went missing and also to spread Catholicism across Japan. But at the time that the film takes place in the 1600s, Catholicism and Christianity in general are illegal um, in Japan. And the Japanese Christians are persecuted, they're imprisoned, they're tortured, killed, all that. So Spider-Man, Kylo Ren, they are searching for their mentor, <laughs> but they're looking for him in secrecy. And they're kind of kept hidden by Japanese Christians who are practicing their faith in secrecy. Because basically, if they are caught, then they're imprisoned and tortured and asked to renounce their faith. Wow. So this is a movie that is heavily about religion. And... I don't know about you, but I am definitely not a religious person. Um, I was super yeah. hesitant to watch the movie. It's a three-hour movie about religion, so I was super dubious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the only reason we did watch it was because Dana's roommate – well, her roommate's uh, boyfriend was – it was his birthday, and he's heavily Catholic, and he loves the movie, so he was like, we should watch it. So I was super wary about it, but I absolutely loved it. Um, obviously, it's my number one. Um, yeah. Just from a movie perspective, the acting is great. I really like Andrew Garfield in everything. He is the lead in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, he gets a lot to do, and I think he he sells it. He's always really good. Um, the cinematography is some of the best that I've ever seen. It's like one of the most beautiful films I've watched. It looks like it's shot with natural light. I don't actually know if it is or not, but it has like mm -hmm. a very crisp HD. You can kind of almost smell the air in the movie sort of watch. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, so this film, it's about faith and challenging faith and about the struggle to maintain faith through challenges and adversity. And what's really cool, the thing that I really love about it is that this is, to me, basically a litmus test for how you feel about religion in general. Because there's a read of this film that says that religion and faith, they're these beautiful things and it's incredibly powerful to be able to stay true to your faith no matter what happens. But then there's also another read of this film that's like a lot of things about religion are really dumb and arbitrary and meaningless. And it sucks that people are killed and tortured for it because um, mm. there's this recurring scene that happens in the movie where imprisoned Japanese Christians are basically they're said they're told to renounce their faith by all they have to do is step on a tone, uh, stone tablet that has the likeliness of Jesus Christ on the cross on it. And if they step on the tablet, they've renounced their faith and they're let go. They're like, okay, you're, you're not Christian. Cool. Um, and if they oh, don't, cool. they're thrown back into the cells or they're killed or whatever. And for me, somebody who's not religious at all, like I, I can definitely admire the will and the commitment to your religion and your faith that is needed to not step on the tablet. But in theory, like, like in theory, that's great. But in practice... I can't think of a single thing that I am that devout to. Like I, I am stepping mm -hmm. on that tablet. I am not 
Yeah, <laughs> like totally. You know, <laughs> and that idea of what your faith is worth and how strong your resolve is, it's really, really cool because different characters in the movie, they approach it from different ways. And it's like, so let's say you step on the tablet. That doesn't actually mean that you have to stop practicing Christianity, right? It's it's sort of an empty gesture. And Andrew Garfield's character, he plays a priest. And even at one point, he's like, guys, it's okay. I It's okay. Step on the thing so you don't get tortured anymore. But so many people don't. They continue to suffer. Wow. And I think whether you find that beautiful and powerful or really frustrating and stupid is a great way to reflect on how you feel about religion in general. And I think the whole film just has that really fascinating dive into that. It's, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Wow. Okay. You said, you said it's like three hours. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Not like three hours. It is three hours. It's, it's long. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, I, it earns it. I think um, the characters go through a lot and it's definitely a tough watch, obviously, because people are being imprisoned and tortured and blah, blah, blah. But um, it, it's a film that I think really works if you go into it and just let it overtake you in a way. It, it's one of those yeah. films. Um, so. it, it's really interesting. I haven't heard of it, even though you said it tanked at the box office, like just because of the cast, I feel like. Back in 2016, I feel like Andrew Garfield was like he was a he was an actor. I watched a ton of things in. Yeah, I wonder if um, some of it is just that religion is not always the most mainstream thing to make a movie about. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. you've got, like, Passion of the Christ, I guess, which is, you know, it was the highest grossing R-rated movie ever for a while. But yeah. I think a lot of films do struggle to find that audience when they're not. Because this isn't a film that's, quote unquote, a appealing or catering to christians like a lot of those random movies about kids who get stuck in ice and then they you know pray to god or whatever but like those movies make a ton of money because they're very that they're not asking you to confront complicated things about religion and i think this film is about religion which probably alienates a lot of people but is also very um like really interested in why religion instead of just hey isn't religion great i wonder if like andrew garfield is like i feel like he must be really religious because he's been in that and he hacksaw ridge was pretty religious yeah well yeah that was surprisingly religious i i love that movie also oh yeah no that's a great movie too i mean that's just an example of alex or andrew garfield amazing actor yeah love him yeah but uh, totally would definitely recommend Silence. That is the best film that I have seen in quarantine. It is a great time because you probably have three hours to check it out. So check it out. So Ian, before we hop into some of these categories, which we'll probably run through pretty quickly since we're already pretty pretty uh, close to an hour here. Um, <laughs> did you have any honorable mentions that just barely missed out your uh, top five? Yeah, I, I did have a few uh, just because of how many movies i've seen of course i've seen a few good ones um yeah. i think uh my favorite four that i chose uh from honorable mentions are rocket man brave hot rod and house at the end of the street wow yeah i i've seen i think all of those what was the first one? Oh, really uh rocket man oh yeah 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 i've seen all of those those are all pretty good movies i'm not a huge fan of house at the end of the street or whatever or brave but Rocket Man, 
solid, <laughs> comically evil parents that uh, yeah. Elton John had, but um, crazy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just the worst, almost unbelievable, yeah, almost. Um, yeah, I, I just want to mention some things that were close to my list as well. Uh, I think I talked about most of these before. Blind spotting would definitely be my number one. I just remember we talked about this at the end of our Palm Springs episode, so I didn't want to mm-hmm. rehash things. Uh, the invitation, great. Um, recommended it to one of my guests, and he said he liked it, so I'm one for one. Oh, nice. <laughs> Primal Fear is an Ed, Ed Norton movie. Great twist. Just a nice little classic legal drama. And then A Few Good Men, I think I also talked to you about, Ian, which, great movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, we did. So other than movies, we've also been watching TV shows. Um, and I think it might seem a bit unfair, but just for the interest of time, let's narrow down all the TV shows that we've watched to just the absolute best TV show that we've seen for the first time in quarantine. Ian, what's your pick? Yeah, so I have a question about this first. Sure. I have a few written down just in case this doesn't work, but does, does a new season count? Sure. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there I are no rules. The rules don't really matter. <laughs> um, but I, I think I've watched a lot of TV. There are a lot of new TV shows that I've watched, but this final season seven of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been my favorite by far. Like, I, I it's... Wow. The se- it's... I can't remember the last time I was watching a show and I was looking forward to the premiere every week. Like I like getting ready for it to come on at like eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, just, it's just really fun. And the show is ending. It's been on for a very long time. And this season is essentially, it seems like in the same way that Endgame was, it's like a love letter to the fans. Like they're doing tons of things that fans have asked for for ages linking things up to the MCU, going back to see old villains and heroes. and It's really fun. That's awesome. I have a special yeah. place in my heart for that show because I feel like I was one of the only people watching it. Well, if you enjoyed any of the first few seasons, like they are referenced very, very hard in this. <laughs> okay. I think the last yeah. season that I saw was the one where they were in space. That's like I, that could be any season okay, after okay. season five, I think. <laughs> so the the season where they're like the world has imploded, and so they're on like a space station, and basically where yeah yeah, I think it's season five or six. It is because so I remember a trailer coming out for a season where like Coulson is evil now. Um, that's the season that I haven't seen. I think that was like the beginning of season six. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I still have one season to catch up before season seven, is what you're saying? I think so, yeah. Okay, well, maybe I'll check it out. I don't think you need to see the most recent season, though. Wait, what? I don't think you need to see this most recent season, though, to uh, to get into season seven. So I should just skip season six? I, I feel like you could. You learn the new... There, there's, like, one new character, and you learn it pretty quickly, but... Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I hate doing that. I'm definitely just going to watch through it. What's the rush? That That's a that's a good point. All right. What's <laughs> your show? <laughs> well, I was super prepared to uh, fight you on, and be mad at you for recommending um, Outlander to me because I could not get oh. into that show. But we'll save oh, that for another time. No, it's okay. I, I forgive <laughs> you. But um, yeah, so I mean, the easy answer for me is Better Call Saul. It's the best show currently on television, 
and they had a, a, a new season that I believe I watched all the way in quarantine, but I'm not going to count it because I started that show outside of quarantine. So the one I'll talk about is the Netflix show Dark. Oh, what is that in German? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. this I think is, I watched the first episode of that. Yeah, it's a German timey-wimey travel show on Netflix. Um, it's just good. I think it scratches a lot of itches in terms of a show that is so well thought out and how everything works completely. They commit to a premise. The premise shouldn't work because a lot of the show is dealing with the idea of determinism versus free will, I guess. And Oh, cool. You know, how can you change the past and whether you can or can't. And a lot of that makes it so that there's not a lot of, oh boy, how are they changing the past? They kind of just don't change the past in this movie. They just are showing a story and showing how everything is completely connected and so completely thought through. Um, I watched this with Dana and we made like a a flow chart of how all the characters are related and it goes over two or three different generations and different time periods and stuff. I would say, don't know anything about the show. Just hop in and uh, give it a couple episodes and it'll probably hook you. It's definitely one of those shows though, that you have to commit to watching, you know, like Mm -hmm. this isn't a show where you can just turn it on in the background Obviously, because you actually have to read what's going on unless you speak German, but also because like everything, it's not a super easy to follow show. Like if you watched Game of Thrones or something and you were like, I don't know who this random old dude is, then you're going to struggle a little bit with this show. But um, I think it's worth it to learn those characters and just everything that happens is so well thought out and clever and smart. And sometimes things sort of just happen for the sake of happening. Like, oh, that character is actually related to that character. Does it matter? Not really. But is it cool? Yeah. So I think I think season one is by far the best, but it's three seasons and they just ended it. It's completely director driven. It's like the same director for everything. So there's like a lot of wow. narrative cohesion to it. Great mm-hmm. show. Would definitely recommend. How many episodes are in a season? Do you know? Um, ten in the first, and then eight in the second and third. So okay, it took me like a week or two to get through it, just because like it's also the show. Like I, I think I fell asleep or almost fell asleep in eighty percent of the episodes that we watched. But that's not because <laughs> of the show. It's just because it's really slow. So if I watched it past like eight p.m. Like it just, oh, I was yeah, just like, oh man, I'm, I'm tired. This is making my eyes hurt, but it it is really good. That's not a great endorsement. So ignore that. But like, it is one of those shows that you really need to kind of find the mood for, for sure. Does it, uh, does it like follow its rules for time travel? Like, is it consistent yes. with those? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Almost to a fault. I would say almost wow. to a fault because it's like, oh, well, never mind. Not going to spoil it. That's really interesting because season seven of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is also dealing with time travel and they were so consistent for the first like eight episodes. And then like episode nine, they threw it out the window and they basically <laughs> said that the Avengers rules don't even matter either. Okay. <laughs> and that like Bruce Banner was wrong. <laughs> oh, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you needed this for the plot. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, this this show is commits to its guns completely. Um, sometimes at the like fault of more emotionally or narratively exciting things. Um, huh, okay. But just like watching the show and it's just an incredible feat of like television storytelling, in my opinion. So I definitely, cool. I would love to talk to you about it after you see it and like how it works as a show yeah. for you. Cause I do definitely have problems, but I can't get into those problems without spoiling the show and kind yeah. of this conceit behind the show. So it sounds up my alley. Yeah. I'll, tra- yeah. I'll check it out for sure. All right. So um, let's just quickly move on to a few of these special categories. Ian. Uh, the first that I thought would be fun to talk about is the most surprising film that we watched. So this is the first time watch that surprised you the most in terms of how good it was. Uh, what's your pick? Yeah, so this one, it's it in- instinctively went into my most disappointing uh, movie category. But then I was like, uh, that that's a bit harsh. I just don't get it. I, I feel like I'm going to need your help. It, it's The Lighthouse. No, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, directed by Robert Eggers with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. I I can so see that there is a great movie in there, but it's not <laughs> for me and I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's completely fair. Um, I was actually just talking about this recently with Dana when I was making this list because she was sort of like, oh, is this not in your top five? And I was like, no, you know, but I was talking about basically in the context of my most disappointing film, which we'll get to next, about how I really do like movies to have um, a plot and structure more so Mm. than I like a film that is style. And like, I think if a film just has style, it pisses me off a lot. Yet, did you ever see Roma? Yeah. Okay. Why? Nothing. No. Not a fan of that. Movie. I just think it's like that. Yeah, super boring. <laughs> um, so the, the lighthouse like meets those criteria in terms of a show of a movie that I probably shouldn't like, but for some reason I, I did really really like it, and I think it might just be because it's yeah. like so wild and bizarre, and also it's pretty short. So it's like you get this atmosphere. Yeah, it is short. Yeah, you get this atmosphere. You get to hang out with these two actors who are just like bouncing off of each other. And there's some good like soliloquies and stuff. I love when Robert Pattinson has that moment where he's like, dude, I don't like your cooking. And then basically this dude just gives a five minute um, monologue of damning this guy to the depths of hell because he doesn't like his cooking (laughs) so funny so weird oh i thought it was Um, so funny but but like yeah i guess that was like i could tell they were doing a very good job of acting because like they were acting insane yeah um (laughs) but like and, and i was able to appreciate like it was shot in black and white and i thought it really fit the mood of you know what it was it was framed to be extremely uh claustrophobic and uh, intense and unsettling and I, it did the job of making me uncomfortable with I, which I think it was trying to do but it it just like made me like you know that you know that video from the office that Gabe shows um, at Halloween no <laughs> <laughs> but like you, you don't know but I'm it's just like a series something. of unsettling images yeah 
<laughs> with like horrible uh terrifying music in the background and i think that was just this for me like yeah. it was just i didn't understand what was happening but it was making me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah no that's that's super fair it's it's a move and i don't i wouldn't begrudge anybody for not liking this movie but i liked it um i can see that i can see that there is a good movie in there for a lot of people i can see that yeah 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 for sure so that is the lighthouse i believe that's on amazon prime am i right might be yeah yeah and so, so this was your most surprising film in terms of yeah because it was surprising because i i you know with especially now with uh Robert Pattinson going to be playing Batman. I wanted to see more of his stuff that wasn't like Twilight and Harry Potter. Um, so I, I went into this with really high hopes because I heard he was great in it. And it was not at all what I thought this movie was going to be. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to take a more positive approach to this question. And my most surprising film was a film that I thoroughly enjoyed despite thinking that I was going to very much not like it. And that is the 1995 adaptation, uh, sense and sensibility. I haven't seen it. Do you know what it's about? No, go through it. So this is directed by Ang Lee. It stars Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, Alan Rickman, and Hugh Grant. And this is a period drama set in like, I want to say Victorian era England, but when I was writing that, I don't actually know any other era of England, so I, I don't know what Victorian era England constitutes, but it's like basically – so this is based on a novel by Jane Austen, so it's those types of uh -huh. movies. Um, all those novels, they're incredibly dense. They're long. They focus on the relationship politics of these wealthy English families, um, and like a lot of movies and TV shows and stuff are made – as adaptations of them and they're kind of their own genre right like it's it's and it's also generally a genre that's not made for our demographic um i think if i was talking about this movie like if if young me or high school me heard about how much i liked this movie he would be completely baffled because i hated <laughs> reading emma which is another jane austen novel oh yeah me too but, you know, here we are. So basically, this is just a romantic comedy, but there's two female leads, two female leads and three to four male leads. And you don't actually know who's going to end up with who. And I found that mm -hmm. I was like rooting for different characters to end up together, consistently changing throughout the film. And Ian, this movie is a goddamn delight. Oh, that's good. I just loved the budding of new relationships and the frivolous drama when Mr. Darcy gives Mrs. Dashwood a crumpet when he was actually rumored to be betrothed to Mrs. Moneybox. I don't actually know the names of the characters here, but basically the drama. That's a really good accent. Thank you. Thank you. It's on my resume, actually. Um, <laughs> but like the drama, the the betrayal, the, the, the emotions behind everything, it's so fun. And the film doesn't really take itself that seriously. Like... It's not a comedy or a parody, but it knows that everything's kind of light and frivolous. So it just makes everything so adorable and cute and it doesn't matter. And mm -hmm. it's it's just relaxing. And I loved this movie. So Sense That's and good. Sensibility. It's good to hear. Would definitely recommend it. I have no idea why Ang Lee directed this. Um, he has the weirdest filmography ever. This is the dude that directed Hulk and Brokeback Mountain oh. and Crouching Tiger, Hidden right. Dragon. And Life of Pi. So, you know, 
whatever. I guess Good he just him. wanted to make a Jane Austen novel, but great diverse movie. resume, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Jack of all trades, I guess. Um, all right. So I do think that it's fun to talk about bad movies and why they don't work, but we should not be super negative. So I'm not going to say what's the worst film that you watched yeah. in quarantine. <laughs> I'm going to say what's the most disappointing film that you watched in quarantine. Um, yeah, I, I, de- I definitely wouldn't list this as, I guess I, I would, I don't know. It, it was disappointing because I love Alison Brie so much. I, I, this is Horse Girl. I'm not sure if you've heard of it or seen it. I've heard of it. I have no idea what it's about. Yeah. Uh, well, this was pretty soon after I think I finished watching, uh, the most recent season of Glow. Okay. Um, great and show. I, I love Alison Brie in that. And uh, this is written by her and directed by Jeff Jeff Baina, Jeff Bina. Um, but I just had such a problem with it. The same way that we were talking sort of about um, uh, about The Lighthouse, it tries so hard to be this sort of art movie or it tries so hard to be so experimental that you completely lose so much of like the plot and what it's about. Um, it's about, you know, Alison Brie's character. She continues to like wake up in different places. She thinks she's like having like a, what is it called? Where you, I don't know. Sleep. She thinks that she's like sleepwalking and stuff. And she, because she's just like waking up in random places, having really weird dreams, but they, it, it just seems like really lost in what it's trying to accomplish with mm. the movie. And because you can't tell if it's trying to delve deep into like some sort of weird um, sort of sci-fi aspect that it alludes to several times, and you can't tell if it's just trying to say that it's a sleep thing, it's a mental thing with with Alison Brie's character. But all you can really tell is that they're doing these cool shots and uh, cool cinematography, and I, I it really feels like that's the only reason they're do- doing this movie. <laughs> This movie because feels the, like a classic. It doesn't make sense. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> this movie feels. <laughs> this movie feels like a classic, just Netflix movie that doesn't work unless you're like one of ten people that like the movie. Yes, and but on the other hand, I think this is one of Alison Brie's like best performances, um, because the the mind of this girl, whatever she's going through is being twisted in so many different ways and she begins as this like very uh very sheltered person and she goes back and forth between the sheltered person and this like person with just giant emotions who's like all over the place and the dynamic the uh Allison Brie shows with those emotions is really really impressive I think and you just can't really tell why it's happening <laughs> is there a reason that it's called a horse girl there is a horse in it. And there is a girl. Um, it is very unclear if the horse is real, where the horse came from, what the horse means, if it means anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry you didn't like it. It's, so <laughs> it's a, yeah. So the, the disappointment was based on the fact that you like Alison Brie and that this was just yeah. not good. <laughs> and it, well, and she, she was really good in it, I think, as, as yeah. an actress, but everything around her didn't seem to make sense. Okay. Okay. Cool. That actually ties pretty well with my most disappointing film, which was Atomic Blonde. 
from 2017. Oh, nice. A comic book movie. Yeah, I guess. Uh, this is directed by David Leach, and it stars Charlie's Theron and James McAvoy. And basically, it's Charlie's Theron kicking ass in a boring, incredibly confusing, and super frustratingly lit <laughs> action film. Um, I actually contemplated turning this movie off 30 minutes into it. And let's let's just think about that for a second. Do you realize how frustrating a movie has to be to turn off a movie in the middle of a freaking pandemic? Like I have yeah, well, no other re- I have nothing else to do. Nothing. And the it's, only it Sounds reason- like you were watching Justice League. Are you sure you weren't <laughs> watching Justice League? <laughs> no, I mean, so basically the only reason I didn't watch or I didn't turn this off was because I was doing an episode on The Old Guard. And I was like, oh, I should watch Charlie's Theron's other action movie. Mm. Um, did not talk about Atomic Blonde in that episode once. So that was a waste <laughs> of time. But <laughs> I, I guess this is most I guess this is most disappointing for me because I've heard good things about it. I've heard that people really love it. It's got a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think Charlie's Theron was fine. Like your movie, she was good. You know, she kicks ass. But this movie sucks. And I probably should have known that it sucks because people say that this is a lot like John Wick. And I also think John Wick kind of sucks. Um, I think (laughs) at least with John Wick, it's meaningless action because the plot is literally you killed my dog. So I'm going to kill dozens and dozens of people. But in Atomic Blonde, the action is meaningless because the plot makes no sense and I just don't care about what's going on at all. So it's just like it's just it was just a really unenjoyable watch for me. Um it reminds me Okay, wow. It's the neon sign of movies. I think neon signs, they look cool, they're colorful, and they get your attention, but you're gonna you're gonna get a headache if you look at it for two hours. So <laughs> this is <laughs> this is like your lighthouse. For me, this is pure style over substance, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Watch the one cool action scene from this movie on YouTube. There's a cool staircase scene. It's a long take. It's awesome. Watch it on YouTube. I spent money buying this movie like a couple years ago at a Black Friday sale. Like I spent like $9 on this. And lesson learned. (laughs) Physical media is dead. All right. Wow. You heard it here first. (laughs) all right let's wrap this up just by talking quickly about um some of the films that we rewatched while under quarantine and how maybe that those movies or the perception of those movies that we watched changed um i want to start i don't want to end on a negative note so we'll do the film that held up worst on rewatch first and then the film that held up best on rewatch so what is the film that held up worst for you when you watched it for a second or third time. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm re- I guess not recently, but whenever this began in March, I guess Half a year ago, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I watched uh Spider-Man two over again because I was like, you know, I haven't seen that since it came out in theaters and I always hear things about how it's one of the best superhero movies and I remember liking it, and I remember some really great scenes from it, but I, I, I just want to see it again. And I was sorely disappointed when I saw it again. There were some, oh. there were some really great character moments. Um, Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, and they, like, nail some Spider-Man moments. But 
there are so many bits I just don't buy into. Like, this is supposed to be, like, I guess a romantic comedy of sorts with with Peter and MJ, and I just don't buy the two of them together. Like, they... I saw no chemistry between the two of them. I don't know if it's because, like, I have Tom Holland now, and I had Emma Stone before in The Last Spider-Man, but, like, I... This... It didn't do it for me, Spider-Man-wise, with a, with a girlfriend, especially after reading so many comics with spider-man and mj like this just like wasn't the dynamic that they had and i I was not a fan of it yeah the movie is a lot campier than i remember i also rewatched this uh towards there there are bits of campiness that i think work though uh specifically the uh the train scene um where where spider-man is stopping this train from going off the edge of a like finished unfinished train track and he like pretty much gets like incapacitated stopping this train from uh filled with people from going off the edge of of uh the track and the people of new york like carry him in to the train his uh mask is all torn apart and they can see his face and they're all just like wow he's just a kid and they like all like promise to keep his secret and it's just like this really nice image of like the people of new york protecting spidey which Mm -hmm. is like so cheesy but but it's like very much like his character like he like nobody knows that he's a kid he just does this to to protect people and they like come to that realization i think in the moment and i i love that that's my favorite spider-man movie scene i think really yeah better than anyone can wear the mask no i'm just kidding okay i won't i won't i won't make you pick we could we could go on a whole diatribe of like good <laughs> spider-man things <laughs> Well, I think that's like the overarching uh, theme of that entire movie. And in that way, I, I prefer that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the one thing that surprised me about some of the Raimi films is that they are very much. I don't know if they're very much, but there's a lot of these scenes where characters are just talking to each other in ways that don't actually advance the plot whatsoever. And mm-hmm. that is not true about any modern day superhero movies that we see nowadays. All superhero movies now, for better or for it, like not just Marvel movies, but almost across the board, all movies that are superhero movies, every single conversation is either a conversation like that is getting towards action or a conversation that is building conflict that will bring it towards action. Or like, we have to do this thing. We, this is like, I think in Spider-Man 2, there's this scene where mj or not mj but um peter and um aunt may are just talking and they're talking about Mm -hmm. how basically peter screwed up with mj or or something like that i I don't exactly remember but you don't have those moments where characters are just talking in these modern day superhero movies and that's the thing that struck out or surprised me the most but i agree that the film is i don't think it's nearly as good as a lot of people say it is yeah Okay, glad I'm not alone in that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll um we'll just jump straight into mine because this is actually perfect synergy. I don't know if you saw mine when you were writing yours, but my most disappointing no, film. No, I didn't get to this one. Okay, my most disappointing film is The Amazing Spider-Man from 2012. Oh, wait, the the first one or the second one? <laughs> yeah, the first one. Oh, okay. So, um well, that that's so weird that you brought up uh conversations that don't advance the plot then because i I feel like there were some in that in that movie 
Yeah, yeah, I suppose. You're right, you're right. There there are in that one as well. Um, I've always kind of defended this one. This is the Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone one, the very first one, because I remember really liking it and thinking that Andrew Garfield is awesome, which we have said again and again, and I think he has great chemistry with Emma Stone. And I really liked the lizard as a villain, and I thought some of the actions were really cool and inspiring and everything. But when I watched this again, everything just kind of felt a little worse. Um, I don't hate this movie. I don't think it's really bad. I think a lot of people think it's really mm-hmm. bad. I don't. It's not really bad. I just think it's a lot clunkier than I remember, and there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't work quite as well as it did at the time. And I think part of that might just be because we've gotten so many more superhero movies. And since then, we've actually gotten like four new Spider-Man movies. So the bar is just a bit higher now after Homecoming, after Far From Home, even after some of the fight scenes in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which I think bad movie, but still fantastic fight scenes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of how I feel about X-Men and X2, where I think those movies are still solid movies and they're definitely better than The Amazing Spider-Man. But they're just kind of lame watching them when you compare them to what we have now. So I I don't know how much of this movie is so much worse than I remember. But I definitely did get disappointed watching it again. Yeah, I I could definitely see that happening. I haven't watched that movie in a while, but I could definitely see myself feeling the same way. I do think that there were some really good... uh, Like the same thing as with Spider-Man 2. There's some good like uh, Spider-Man moments, I think, in that movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I think the lizard is a really cool villain. And I love Yeah, totally. I love villains and characters that aren't just, oh, this person is strong. So it was cool to see him, but going back and watching it, he's an ugly looking dude. Like mm-hmm. ugh, I, I don't like what they did with his face. And I remember at the time being like, No, it's pretty cool. But all right. And there was a sky beam in that movie, right? Um, no. But there was a sky radio tower that was broadcasting. Maybe it uh, was a sky beam. I don't know. I thought there was a beam during that from that tower. It's quite possible. But at one point, the the tower falls down or whatever. Yeah. Um, but okay. Let's end on a positive note. What's the film that you watched that held up best upon reexamination? Yeah, this is going to be me beating a dead horse. Um, <laughs> I, I rewatched Endgame again. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> um, Martini and I, talk I about Endgame again, though, for the with... fifth time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched it again. for This is my second time, though, watching it with uh, the director commentary. And I, I, I love the director commentary. It, there's just so much insight into the decisions that they made. In the, and I think they must have added a few more director commentary uh, scenes since I watched it last mm. because uh, they went more into like deleted scenes on Disney plus this time. And I thought that was really cool. They, they like talked about all of the different decisions that they like had on the board. Like the, the one that you've probably heard about with uh, Thanos bringing uh, caps head from the past to their future. No. And just Holy like crap. throwing it at them at the battlefield. That's insane. No, I haven't heard of that. And they were like, you know, yeah, and they were like, you know what? Maybe we, maybe we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Something about cat being decapitated is a little, uh, yeah, a little not PG thirteen. And there was there was something in the same vein with like the death of Tony at the end. Um, 
they they were trying to decide whether the, how gruesome they wanted him to look. Mm. They they had a, uh, a like a concept art that they showed of like his eyeball hanging out of his skull, oh, like half of his face, like just like blown off. And it was disgusting. And I was like, I did not want to see him like oh, that. God. Could you imagine if Peter Parker saw him like that at the end? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But it, it, yeah, it still held up. It was really fun to watch. Yeah. Endgame. Great movie. Heard it here. <laughs> um, I'll I'll also give another hot take. I rewatched The Social Network and that movie slaps. Great movie. I still haven't seen that. Another Andrew Garfield, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's an Andrew Garfield podcast. Uh, yeah, this is directed by David Fincher and written by Aaron Sorkin. So this is another written by Aaron Sorkin film. Um, mm. I love his dialogue. I really think this story is really well told and that the dialogue is really biting. Um, it's a total middle finger to this subculture of techies and toxic men that feel like they dominate the internet, even though they don't. But in a lot of ways, this film predicted the future both in terms of where Facebook as a company went and then where our feelings of online social media went. And it's crazy that this film is 10 years old, but it feels like it could have been released six months ago. It's just super prescient, super relevant. Um, But even if you do strip away all of that social commentary and subtext, it's just a really classic film in terms of being a drama about the start of a tech company and the characters that, created it so a great film not much else i really need to get into it but i would definitely recommend it it's on netflix you should watch it i that's that's a movie it's always been on it's been on my list since it came out and i still haven't watched it (laughs) and i I still i love andrew garfield i've seen so many andrew garfield things i don't know why i haven't seen it watch it watch it for sure okay yeah okay All right. So I think with that, why don't we just quickly say um, our top five films again, and then we'll get the heck out of here. Yeah. So my fifth film was uh, Ready or Not. And then number four was Toy Story 4. Uh, The half of it was number three. Or no, the the half of it was number two. Uh, Little Women was number three. The half of it was number two. And Parasite was number one. All right, and my number five was Steve Jobs. Number four was Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Can't say that title without <laughs> laughing. Three was Singing in the Rain. Two was The Godfather. And one was Silence. So this has been our episode looking at the best films of quarantine so far. What a strange time in our lives this has been. Um, it looks like it might not be over anytime soon, unfortunately. So maybe in another five months, Ian, we'll do this again and we'll yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about the uh, the top five films from the next five months of our life. Um, but Quarantine part one and two. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, uh, thank you for joining me again, as always. Is there anything specific that you'd like to plug here? Um, I, would lo- I would like to plug the greatest podcast on Spotify, Movie Marathoners. You should follow them on all social media. They are great. Feels disingenuous. <laughs> that was one hundred percent genuine. If okay. you're listening to this, you should follow uh, Movie Marathoners on Twitter. It, it's a hilarious account. Okay, thank you very much. The <laughs> intro music for this episode is a piece called "Work" by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. 
If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at the aforementioned Movie Maripod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Movie Maripod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie dash marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, and CastBox. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by my friend David Melly to talk about, quote, the perfect movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. His words, not mine. So stay tuned for that. Until then, bye. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. (laughs) I've never done it. (laughs) Right.